0: The Pacers hit a billion threes, but it wasn't enough as the Celtics' depth prevails in overtime thanks to 20 offensive rebounds and some solid late-game execution. We're going to talk all about it next on First to the Floor. It's going to be first to the floor here, and it was as Smart, as he usually is. ground drive, on the ground. That's not the
1: first time we've seen a superstar
0: in White sacrifice the Hey, welcome into another episode of First to the Floor. Ben Vallis here. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. The Celtics, they overcame a ridiculous three-point barrage from the Indiana Pacers, and particularly Miles Turner. Joining me, as he often does, Wayne Spoonie. Spoons, how you doing, sir? I'm good, man. What a crazy game to come back
1: from, from the break, dude. Yeah, my (laughs) heart wasn't ready for it. I'm not in
0: game shape right now, so that was killing me. But hey, win's a win, right? Yeah, my conditioning was not up for that particular performance. <laughs> yeah. uh, and of course, Tasmania's newest resident, Jake Eisenberg. <laughs> How you doing, Jake? Welcome back.
2: Yeah, the boys didn't look like they were in game shape either um, for a lot of that game. Yeah, w- reminded us again why we were so excited for the Celtics to play today. That I was cannot recall. It's terrible. scarring,
0: scarring, <laughs> scarring experience. Now, look, before we get into the actual game, and I'm sure if you're on the stream or listening to the pod later, you can jump straight into it. But just very quickly, some housekeeping for us and an update on the logistical movements of our podcast. We are very excited to announce that we're moving to the CLNS network. Uh, and huge thanks to, to Nick Gelso and, and everyone there for allowing us to jump on board and, and, for, and for taking us under their wing. Um, so, we are, as part of that, moving back to our old podcast feed. The Green with Envy guys, they're maintaining ownership of the current Celtics blog feed that you might be listening to this podcast on now. Um, We are maintaining a relationship with the Celtics blog. Spoonie, he does great write-ups after each podcast uh, and and adds a lot more meaning and substance to the stuff that we talk about on the show. They're going to keep going up on (laughs) Celtics blog. Um, Guys, anything you want to add to that? Just
2: good times. I'm excited for another opportunity to keep making content and hopefully share it with more people. Yeah, let's keep going.
1: If if you listen to us on the Celtics blog podcast feed and you would like to keep listening to us, or if you'd just like to help us out, go and subscribe to the First to the Floor podcast feed. We're going to be double posting for a couple more episodes, but then all of our episodes will be on the First to the Floor podcast feed. Very easy to find if you're not already subbed there. So please, 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 it would be great for us if you could go over there and sub to our old, now new again. Podcast feed <laughs> with our branding, it's very easy uh, to find. So please do that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm very excited to be to going back to our our nice sort of a suite of of graphics there on the old feed. But yeah, maybe you've remained subscribed to the old feed. Maybe you've just learned about us since we joined the Celtics blog feed. The link to our old and new again feed that will be in the show notes for this this episode. If you're listening on the Celtics blog feed, so please. Uh, Help us out. Jump back over to the old feed because we're going to be full time there with the CLNS in the coming weeks, guys. We had a full squad for this game minus Gallo. I don't know why they continued to add him in the injury report. He's clearly just out but indefinitely. This was the Celtics' ninth overtime game of the season. Spoony, we'll start with you. Dare I ask? Like this is a terrifying, you know, heart melting game. What were your main takeaways from this one? Uh, I mean, I don't want to overreact because
1: realistically. The Pacers, and especially Miles Turner, essentially turned it to Ray Allen. Um, Like that corner three he hit in crunch time, that was like a shooter's shot. I I do think the biggest takeaway for me is I thought the defense looked really, really rusty at times. I mean, Mm -hmm. we blew so many switches to leave shooters open, and we lucked out twice in crunch time with Buddy Heald missing two wide-open threes that probably would have swung the game for the Pacers. It just felt like several times, you know, they should they couldn't figure out if they were supposed to switch or not, and then it'd end up with two on the ball, and then it's just an easy swing, and then all of a sudden we're in rotation. And the Pacers, they're fun to watch, man. Like, if you're in rotation, they will ping the ball around, and they don't care to whom, and everybody can shoot. So um, they just spread you out. It looks a lot like we do when we're playing at our best um so yeah I, I just think you know the defense has gotta get back up to speed um but otherwise like hey they gutted out a win when i feel like we had we did not deserve to win this game really
2: <laughs> no it, it was great to see us actually win a game where we didn't deserve to win it, it just yeah. kind of shows you how good this team is um i think for me that the the story was Look, we've got to come for a name for Derek and Malcolm off the bench now that everybody's back because these two guys coming off the bench is just an embarrassment of riches. They were so good um, early all the way through the game. Brogdon was clutch, hit that corner three, um, leading the league in, in uh, three-point percentage. I'm a coward and cashed out by Malcolm Brogdon, six man of the year bet. Um no. Break, yeah. It's <laughs> well, Zach, L- Zach Lowe's <laughs> fault. He said Nolan Powell was the favorite, and then a day later yeah. – um, Russell Westbrook got traded. Alas, Malcolm Brogdon, six man of the year, like front runner by far. Derek White could easily win it, um, like be the second winner of that award. Um, they were so good off the bench. Um, and then Hauser, all three of those guys off the bench, I think were the reason why they kind of were able to not go in a hole. Because once the Pacers made that, made that run, the, the bench actually steadied them because Jalen, Jason and Marcus um, were not ready for how fast the Pacers played. Um, how many times we know Tatum not getting back on defense. The Pacers play so fast. It's crazy. It's nuts. I love it. Yeah. Like I don't.
0: (laughs) Nice. I didn't get it at first.
2: (laughs) Um, Yeah. Like, and we did this just, it was a classic, maybe, you know, looking past them and looking to the Sixers game. um, Typical kind of move out of the all-star break. Um, but thankfully, the bench, uh, the mistress, dog, and House Party
0: were were here to pick up the slack. Yeah, absolutely. The bases are just a good team. Like they're a young yeah. team, they're an inexperienced team, but they're full of talent. Ty- Tyrese Halliburton, absolutely one of the premier point guards in the oh, yeah. in the league, despite his relative youth. And they were hungry coming out of this one. And and Scal mentioned it on the on on the broadcast that you know the. Teams are gunning at the Celtics, and that's only amplified by Tatum's MVP performance in the All-Star Game and the shoddy, boring All-Star Game. And And teams are more right. hungry to, to pursue a victory over us. And, yeah, it just speaks to the Celtics' depth that, although it was sort of a rusty performance from from Jason Tatum, maybe still in holiday mode there, Jalen Brown looked pretty good despite the mask yeah. covering the majority of his face. Uh-huh. Smart had some very rusty moments as well outside of overtime where he was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and despite that, the depth, Derek White, who we didn't even use in crunch time, Malcolm Rogner was incredible. Sam Hauser, the house party overflowed into a block party in this one. <laughs> like we just got so many guys We played 10 deep in this one and they really just sort of carried the Jays. As, as weird as that seems to say, looking at their, their counting stats um, to a victory here. What were your um, thoughts on the OG starters in this one, Spoony? We finally saw them, you know, back on the court together. Did you think it looked as as good as you had expected? I thought the first
1: quarter they looked awesome. I mean, they were pinging the ball around. I thought the defense looked tight. Um, Alan Robb really... They did a really good job containing ball handlers in that first quarter. Um, and the passing was just, like, incredible, man. Uh, Al especially, I think he had, like, five or six assists this game. Uh, yeah, six assists. Like, he was really kind of playmaking. He had that, like, backdoor cut um, to, I think, Sam Hauser at one point. So oh, yeah, I thought it looked like they, you know, had been playing with that normal starting lineup all season. Um But then in the second half, uh, in that third quarter especially, uh, the Pacers really spread us out and really went to like, they almost played like a playoff style offense where they went to Halliburton, screen and roll, way high up the floor. And if they didn't get the switch, they just ran it again and ran it again until he got either Rob or Al on the switch. So it was actually strange. I'm surprised we didn't see more Grant Williams considering how they were playing, Mm -hmm. but um, when you when you play two bigs, even if they're both as defensively versatile as Rob and Al are, I mean, look, a guard like Halliburton's going to be able to expose them on switches, and um, so I, I thought the Pacers really adjusted to that lineup in the second half, and you saw it; they were just unstoppable in that third quarter.
2: Yeah, I I, I liked seeing them together in the first half. Offensively, it was great. Al, you know, he found Brogden for a beautiful kick to the corner as well in that first half. Um. Yeah, that cut to Hauser was was beautiful. The defense, though, um, that third quarter and into the fourth, I was surprised. I'm wondering if it's a minutes management thing with Rob because I was surprised that they went with Al because it became evident that we had to close with one big with how Turner was spreading you out, Um, and so I was surprised they went with Al over Rob, and I wonder if it was because. They just want to keep Rob's minutes down. He started to, you know, pick up knickknack injuries towards the All-Star break, and they're just like, look, we need you eat healthy for the playoffs. 24, 25 minutes is kind of the max, and he would have played less than that if not for all- overtime. Um, I thought Al was getting cooked pretty consistently yeah. um, by Halliburton, and that's, look, that's a tough matchup for any big. Um, but yeah, Al out of the All-Star break, I think, yeah, another example of just, you know, not quite ready for the for what the paces were able to do to you, especially offensively. Um and so I liked what they brought off um on offense, you know, moving the ball, um, spreading the floor, but defensively, I think uh, it was and they adjusted. Um but Grant Williams, you yeah, know only playing what, five minutes? Even less than Six. that? Six. Yeah. Six. That was interesting. Very. And yeah, I don't know what you think about
0: that, Ben. Well, it's like Spoonie said, the the switchability of Grant Williams and you factor in the amount of times that Al got cooked off the dribble. Yeah, you'd like to see a lot of Grant in there defensively, but I suppose what Al offers in terms of his veteran leadership and all, all of those cliches, yeah, but particularly in offense with the ball movement, the stretching of the floor, how reliable he's been from three this year, maybe that's why Missoula opts for Al over Grant. But six minutes alone where you, know, you really could have inserted Grant in some Situations to be more switchable and to stay with the Pacers guards uh, rather than have them take out to the rim. It is a little surprising that the Grant played so few minutes. Rotation wise, like and this doesn't bear out in the overall result of the game, just based on how close it was. But it was just an embarrassment of riches for the Celtics <laughs> off the bench, and like I was getting ready for that to be the story. So like we, we started <laughs> with that OG lineup as we said, and then it was Cornet, White, and Brogdon yeah. in for JB Allen, Rob. Uh, and then Grant in a few like. possessions later. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. We didn't have that pairing yes. of Brogdon and JB initially, which yes. I thought was noteworthy. Worked great. Then,
2: yeah, Look, and then Derek perfectly. Derek White was awesome. Oh my Malcolm goodness, Brogdon was it.
0: awesome. And therefore, Jalen Brown was sort of able to operate outside of the sort of playmaking aspect of, or lack thereof, of his game and, and really uh, flourish. So I thought that was really good. And then start of the second quarter, uh, Jalen Brown, White, Brogdon, uh, backcourt, yeah, to start the second Hauser in as our 10th man. So we're 10 deep already early in the second quarter. Rotation wise with this team as healthy as they are. I think you could maybe attribute Rust to how this game ended up, but ultimately just to have that much top end talent all the way through to 10 uh, was really exciting. Do you guys have any, any more thoughts on sort of the, the back end of the rotation there outside of the starters? Real quick. Do you <laughs> guys think yeah, I I don't know how Miles Turner drops eight threes,
1: Razzin. I mean, it's nuts. just absolutely ridiculous. But do you guys think Grant played poorly in his six minutes? Because I didn't n- notice no. anything where I was like, "Oh, Grant's out here killing us, man. What is he doing?"
2: No, not at all. Well, you, there was no time. There was yeah, no time right. for him to, to make that many mistakes. He he missed one wide open three, but like he took it confidently, quickly. That that's what you want to see. Um, no, my. My dad texted me, he's like, has Joe lost trust in Grant? Like, there would be, there'll be no reason for that to happen over the All-Star break unless, you know, Joe just starts grinding tape that hard and he thinks he's he's found something and that's it for Grant. But before the All-Star break, there was, you know, Grant was, hey, was clocking 35 minutes, 40-plus in some of the big matchups. Uh, it's very surprising to not see him get out there today, especially when we could have... Def- I was thinking, like... Yeah, go go small. Get granted, you know, granted the five. Like there was, um, like you know, Turner's not posting you up. He posted Tatum up that one time. Like let's just, let's just get a little more, a little bit more switching. Um, get Al off his feet. Get Rob off their feet. At least go to it in the second half when we were just unraveling. But uh. But no, Joe was too ready to dive on the floor to pick up some balls
0: and get Grant in the game. (laughs) Yeah, that was bizarre. (laughs) Yeah. And we're going to get to some, I guess, some aspects of the team that we're looking to track throughout this stretch run of the season in a second. And we can continue to talk about the game through that lens in a sec. But in this game, Spoonie, there were some awesome like 1v1 matchups. There was a, a weird, weirdly high number of them. So tell me which of these stand out to you the most. So Smart versus Halliburton. JB versus mathroom and then Tatum versus Matherin in that wild jump ball exchange as well where Tatum just wouldn't let go of the ball. Of those three 1v1 explosions throughout this game, what was the most noteworthy to you? I think it's got to be Smart Halliburton. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, that, was, that was wild, dude. Smart
1: got him bad on that drive and flexed on him after Halliburton flexed First of all, what is Halliburton flexing about? I you was fouled yeah. him. What do you? He's at? quite wiry, also.
2: Yeah, yeah. He got. <laughs> like, yeah, what that first Bump. He did. He went flying. <laughs> and then he comes
1: up and gives him the forearm, gets a foul called, and it's like, why are you flexing on Marcus Smart? He was about to roll <laughs> over you for two. Um, so I thought that was really bizarre. And then um, Smart. I, I kind of felt like he sort of went. Both of them set, felt like they were a little bit on tilt after that. Yeah, though, for sure. Like Halliburton was like flying up the court. I think he, I think he turned the ball over, and Smart was turning it over all over the place. He had. I five was worried turnovers. a little bit
2: that we were going to get like bull in a china shop, Marcus Smart, for a second. Like he just we sees red. Like- I mean, yeah. We, but this is this is this is the grown-up version of the bull in the china shop. You yeah. know, it's it's just slightly toned down and more in control.
0: Smart operates more frequently in that headspace where I think, yeah, maybe <laughs> Hallie is like slightly more new to it and, and, and can't operate with as much experience in that mindset. But it's interesting. Like I would imagine part of the, the scouting report for for Marcus Smart is like, he's going to try and get in your head. So you just have to respond in kind and just like go right back at him. And that's all good in theory. But then you're out there on the court, the crowd screaming at you and you're in that moment. And I, I could only imagine him. Um, how terrifying that would be going up against Marcus Smart <laughs> in that sense. Jalen Brown uh, versus Benedict Matherin, I thought was interesting. Um, fun, like Matherin. Did he Matherin? He called out LeBron James, or like at least mentioned yeah, LeBron yeah. James prior yeah. to the season. Like, I don't think he's that good. I'm Obviously, like, paraphrasing me. I,
2: I want to find out go. for myself. Yeah, how yeah. how good LeBron is.
0: Yeah, so of course he's going to go with Jalen Brown, but you know, JB popped a three in his face, like a possession or two yeah. later, and kind of like ended that conversation. And then Tatum. Yeah, I mean that's that's great. Like we don't often mention Tatum in the sort of the in the theme of first to the floor. He's not often the kind of player to to throw his body to the floor. A la Blake Griffin, um, but he certainly <laughs> did it in this particular play and it showed some grit and some some of that Celtics tenacity that we love so much.
2: Oh, I think you know it kind of felt like we should have just won this game by twenty, but like this is objectively yes. such a fun game, and yeah. I think. As I'm kind of talking about it now, Mike, if you're like not a fan of either team, you know, super high scoring, super fast. We had three separate like dust ups or kerfuffles between, you know, Celtics players and and Pacers players. Like, this is exactly what you want to see in an NBA game. And now I'm getting a little little space from it emotionally, and I'm like, you know, that was objectively sick. Like both teams made like twenty threes. We had dunks from JB, like, um, like this Pacers team is super fun. Um and it apparently a team that really gives us trouble. Um, But I love seeing Tatum especially uh, get a little gritty because the shot clearly wasn't falling. I mean, we had that terrifying, terrifying moment uh, in the first half. Fucking Neesmith getting in the... the I can't
1: believe he (laughs) got the call, dude. That is definitely a blocking foul. He slipped under Tatum, I know. How
2: dare you put Tatum in, in arm's <laughs> way like that, where he just almost breaks his arm and like, and Scout does the signature. Oh no. I like, know. has going to tell him, please. It's yes. so triggering. It's so triggering to me. I'm like, you don't, you don't know anything. Anyway. So after that, Tatum, I couldn't, couldn't hit a shot. He got it going. Obviously later I got to the line. Um, but I think. That's my. I love gritty Tatum. I like gritty Tatum more when he's also making shots. But um, obviously, the offensive rebound tip-in to win the game, diving on the floor and refusing to give it up against Mathurin. Like you just love seeing that from your from your superstar um, and kind of galvanizing the, the the team. Like so, just just good good
0: times all around. Yeah, absolutely. There were some really fun uh, 1v1 matchups in this particular game. We're going to get to, I guess, the, the crunch time elements of the game in a second. But just very quickly, Sam, house party, Hauser, again, I'll say it, the, the house party overflowed out onto the street for a block party. I believe our photographer on the ground has just sent us uh, an image that he took during the game. I'll just bring it up here. <laughs> Because, <laughs> wow, that's a good shot. <laughs> incredible, a great shot. And thanks to the first of the floor photographer for sending that one in so quickly. Uh, amazing. But just like, obviously the blocks were a lot of fun and I think he hit the one, three or what, at least one of his two, two threes. For two. Two, two, for two two. for two, there you go. Amazing. So he's like well and truly back, but just in a vacuum, he's one to one or one V one defensive matchups. I don't think his attacker got an advantage over him ever at any point during the game. Spoonie, like, you know, we've been, I want to say this is like something that you, in particular, have been obsessing on over the season. I think we all have, to to your credit. Um, what did you see from Hauser defensively in this game? So, I
1: think Joe did a really good job of limiting his minutes against kind of that top uh, Pacers lineup that spreads you out so well. And he was, you know, in the game going against, like, Jordan Nawara, who he dominated several yeah. times. Like Naura <laughs> thought he could just go at Hauser and how ha- I think he might have blocked Nawara twice. And then uh one of his blocks sadly was against Aaron Neesmith. Um so I thought he did a really good job defensively, but I also think part of that is Joe limited his limited his minutes to make sure he was only out there when there was like a good matchup for him. So which is fine, dude. You get thirteen minutes out of Hauser, and he has eight points. I'm pretty sure he led the team in plus-minus with a plus fourteen. Like, that's exactly what you want out of your. T- I mean, that's a great for a tenth man. I, I have absolutely no complaints about either end. And he was kind of mucking it up on the boards. He only had one off, one rebound. Yeah but, w- yeah, but he's getting in there. He's getting his nose dirty, man. Yeah.
2: Brad Stevens, look, we sit here, we talk about <laughs> how we need a freaking wing. Brad knows he's on the team. Like this is the like this guy is perfect. Like this all you need is a guy that can play acceptable defense, eat some minutes, knock down every single three that he takes, um, and and average like uh, a block every three or four minutes. I've been practicing my math over the uh, All Star Break. Nailed you, it. Haven't noticed. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Sammy, Sammy three blocks. Is that what we're we're moving towards here? I think like, that's was, the official
0: title. Yes. I think <laughs> so. Like but he
2: like he's he's perfect. He, you know, we've always liked his off-ball cutting. He had another, yeah, as we talked about, that Horford cut, um, that pass to to Hauser. This is perfect. He plays really well with Tatum. Guys are looking for him. Um, I think there's something to the idea of being a young player and some guys get off to slow starts and then figure it out, or some get off to hot starts and then have their first slump, and it's like Oh, I thought that life was just going to be great. I was going to shoot forty five percent from three, just consistently always. To go through like that disastrous shooting slump for two months and then turn it around, uh, go go through the all star break and then come straight back um, and impact winning um, on both ends of the floor. I think speaks a lot to kind of his kind of just journey um,
0: as a young player this season. Yeah, absolutely. And just he has a a lesser responsibility now that we're all back healthy. We've got our full suite of wings, you know, being the Jays. There's less expectations of him and he can just kind of do his thing. And then apparently pepper his thing with a shitload of blocks throughout the game, (laughs) which is really (laughs) exciting. Um, Let's just get to the closing lineup really quickly. And I'll ask this to you, Jake. Like, Were you surprised that Derek White was not involved in the closing portion of the game with everything that we've seen from him? with, you know, his player of the week recently, just him being the mistress, the incredible mistress oh, that man. we book hotel rooms for and stay out late at work for, not being included in the in the closing lineup at all. Were you surprised by that, or does it make sense now that we've got the full complement back?
2: It's tough. Like, it was, the, it was tight, and I'm, I'm, I see Derek on the bench, and I'm like, what, why is, why is the, the mistress not out there? And then I'm like, who is he going to go in for? Brogdon's playing out of his mind, yeah. barely missing a shot not going to bench smart tatum or brown and it's like Mm -hmm. okay can you can you play Derek malcolm that's probably their best five players now right Derek malcolm marcus tatum and brown i don't you may have been able to try it if they would have gone to it maybe in like the second or third quarter um but that's a tough one to go through and go to in crunch time if you haven't gone to it at all just because you know if they want to dump it down to turner in the post, over and over again, that may have been that may have worked up. He was making every three anyway, so that could have been a better option. But yeah, I just it just speaks to the embarrassment of Richards. Like, who? Are you, what are you? How are you going to get him in there? Uh, I think he played pretty much a perfect game for what his minutes allowed. Great defense. I loved his screen navigation on Halliburton getting back in the play. That was maybe you could have made the argument for him over Brogdon. Like Brogden was giving you all the offense, but we were just kind of really struggling to get stops. In the fourth quarter and even into overtime. But I think there was the right call sticking with Brogdon in this one, getting up to 36 minutes. So it does worry me kind of a little bit when it comes to Brogdon. But Joey Maz, like, I can't fault you. I can't fault you on that one.
1: Yeah, Brogdon again. did have, there was like a semi transition. I think it was in overtime. And uh, Brogdon didn't match up. And uh, Halliburton yeah. like skipped a corner. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was to Matherin. Yeah skipped a pass to him and he was wide open for three. And I actually I think Tatum uh, yelled yeah. at Brogdon for it. So that's the type of stuff Derek yep. White, you just, you never even see it. It's not even on screen, but sure. he does not miss his matchup in semi-transition like that. So that's the downside of having Brogdon. But yeah, I I think when Brogdon's that white hot, and I thought he did a really good job moving the ball tonight too. I didn't think it stuck with him at all. Uh. Um, and he got hammered on a couple of his drives and didn't get the call. So, he wouldn't when you, when he's just like basically a primary scorer and you can roll him out there with Tatum and Brown, I you, you can't sit him down. But uh, he definitely has his faults, regardless of how well he's playing offensively. So I you can't go wrong with Brogdon or White. I bet we win the game with either uh, either of them in that that lineup.
2: I know, like I already have the is the one mistress. I'm I don't need to, I don't know if I need to be handing out another hotel key to Brogdon, but. You know, that, that could be Join fun. Join us. <laughs> that could be fun. I don't know.
0: <laughs> there's, uh, there's a lot of Daniel Tice chatter going on in the chat. So if you're listening, you know, after <laughs> yeah. the fact, it's worth shooting into the YouTube version just to understand this subplot of a chat that, that's going on under our noses here. Now, look, we could talk about Jalen Brown in crunch time. He's missed free throws. His pass sailing over <laughs> Al Horford's head. But oh, this is a weird- God. We're celebrating. I think we should just move on. And I wanted to run some ideas by you guys as far as like things or traits or trends that we're tracking now coming out of the all-star break and heading to the postseason and things that we really want to like dot the I's and cross the T's on before the playoffs start. So first one being the typical post all-star break. Jason Tatum explosion, which shooting wise, we did not see tonight. He still (laughs) impacted the game, particularly down the stretch. If you look at his counting stats, like, and really that is just to demonstrate the evolution in Tatum's game that like, no, he wasn't splashing threes at 60% tonight, but he's still absolutely in a way, like, I don't want to say dominated, but certainly left his mark on this game. Next one, Grant Williams just generally stabilizing after the trade, then light rumors simmered down. And he just didn't get the opportunity to do that tonight in his 6 no. minutes and 11 seconds. Next one, how does Derek White cope with everyone back? We just talked about that, but that's something to, to keep tabs on as we move forward. Obviously, his role is unfortunately going to be diminished with a healthy complement and with Malcolm Brogdon operating in the way that he did tonight. Is Rob Williams trending back to last year's form coming out of the All-Star break? I actually want to stop there because, like, yes, it's one game out of the All-Star break, but He's not like he's just not the Rob yeah. that we knew and loved. I would argue that his cleaning of the glass alone and the impact that he adds there is enough, especially now with the depth that we've got spoony what are your thoughts there like do we need last year's Rob to succeed this postseason or do we just need him cleaning the glass and kicking out and doing all the little things like he's been doing lately um uh, yeah, I think we need Rob
1: at least to the point where he was at in that Golden State series, which I don't think was peak Rob, but um, it was fairly close. Uh, yeah, he might be at that level right now, but yeah, he just does not look right, man. I'm kind of starting to get worried, and maybe he's just sort of saving it and not leaping around every possession three different times to hopefully not get injured again, but he looks a little heavy to me i don't know he looks a little plodding like he was like a cat last year man like the way he would stick with ball handlers on the perimeter and then recover and then jump a thousand feet in the air and block a shot um and he just looks a little slow on his reads and his switches like this lots of blown switches involving rob tonight um which (laughs) is rare for him because that was something he struggled with in his earlier years but last year i mean he was everywhere he was like the quarterback of the defense really and it was such a big growth for rob um and i don't know man i'm am i crazy jake should
2: i not be getting
1: worried cuz i'm a kind of a little worried
2: no i i wonder if we need to have a you know revision of our rob expectations you know similar to the conversation we had with Proctin. And hopefully yeah, that, that worked and then he yeah, started so following. Anyway. <laughs> I think that's I think, I think that's what we need to do because you know, he has had two knee surgeries in the last eight months or whatever it is. He doesn't look th- he doesn't look right. I wonder if he needs to get on the Tim Duncan program slim down. Um, yeah, we really want I want that story about how Rob's changed the diet. Like I know how much he loves fried chicken and I'm with you Rob. Um, but like they're very inflammatory foods and when you're constantly having inflamed <laughs> knees and ankles not helpful um so you know i can help you with your diet if you, if you need that but there needs to be some some kind of some kind of change because otherwise i think maybe we're just like we're getting whatever this version of robbie is which i think is enough for us to still win the title like he's still good enough defensively and um i don't know he just looks a bit hesitant as well like yeah. he's just so unsure of when or when not to shoot like these little these little push shots because his his instinct is just to kick out um and th- and that and that's fine maybe he should just he should just stick with his instincts because he's kind of getting himself into trouble he missed that bunny kind of in, cl- in crunch time as well he just doesn't feel sure of himself physically doesn't look quite the same and those two things could just be re- could be connected so like if you're lacking in confidence in you know both defensively and offensively like if you, or if you're not trusting your body that can lead to just reacting in a slower than you were before yeah. so they could easily be interconnected so it's, it's it's just tricky to see to say and I and again like I mentioned it earlier the fact that he only got to 25 minutes including the overtime makes me wonder if that's what they're trying to do it's just like okay if if we want peak Rob let's just let's get peak Rob for 20 minutes as opposed to getting like 70% Rob for 29 minutes maybe that's the
0: process. Yeah, I mean that certainly makes sense. It's the simplest explanation as to why he's been limited in his minutes and limited in his like his effort. He does look heavier, like you said, Spoony. Like I don't know if it's just relative to the other bodies out on the court, but he looks thicker. And then he really yeah. does have these massive, like I'm not reporting anything new here, but these hugely long Go Go gadget arms that just like can't help but <laughs> flap about. And he just he looks like a giant man. He does look thicker though, and I'm wondering, I wonder if that is having an impact on him. And I wonder if he can slim down a little bit and get back to his his old self heading into the playoffs. The good news is that he's still incredibly young, so he's got a lot of runway to get there. But at the same time, we want to win a championship this year, so please, Rob, get it together. I love get you. Get on the elliptical, <laughs> low low impact. He's yeah, crazy. yeah. What, what's the, the Versa climber? That Reversa thing. Versa climber. I was to say Jaylen, Get him in the pool.
2: Get him. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's right.
0: Yeah. Now we're talking. Uh other things to track as we sort of circle back here, heading into the postseason or the final the stretch run here. Last thing I had is the bench unit galvanizing. Tonight, I think it's clear, like, yes, the bench kind of saved us, particularly earlier in the game, it was that depth and the and the contribution 10 deep in the roster that really helped. So I'll be tracking that as we move towards the postseason just to see if they can elevate it to a, even another level, because it's those little things ultimately that put you above all the other teams and lead you to a championship any other metrics or trends or aspects of the team, either of you guys, Spoonie, I'll start with you, just randomly, that you think <laughs> we should be tracking?
1: Uh, yeah, Al's minutes, uh, it's kind of similar to Rob. Like, we really need Al Horford to be, like, peak old Al Horford, if that makes sense. Like, obviously, he's yeah. not going to be peak Al Horford, but the peak version of whatever 36-year-old Al Horford is, we peak need it. Peak 3.0. Yeah,
2: exactly,
1: <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, yeah. <laughs> Um, he's like an iPhone. He's had so many versions. <laughs> he played, you know, thirty-four <laughs> minutes tonight. That's not too bad, but it's still more than I'd like him to. Um, and Muscala didn't play, which I thought was <clears throat> strange. And uh, Indy, I mean, maybe it was the Halliburton pick and roll. We're just afraid of Muscala switching onto him. Uh, but I, isn't it worth giving Muscala a shot? And you know. He can really, like I we were talking about before, he can really take Al's um, role offensively. Um, so I would have liked to see, him, like, even if it's eight minutes from Moose instead of those thirty-five from Al, and then you get Al down into the high twenties, and I think that's absolutely perfect for him. So I thought that was kind of strange. And it was calls, but he was playing really, yeah. really well going into the All Star break. So um, I wonder if Al's going to take a lot more games off. In, the, in this sort of stretch run here and let Moose kind of do the Blake Griffin sure. where it's like he doesn't play and then he plays 32 minutes. Um, so I'm interested to see with what they do with Al down the stretch.
2: Moose is probably still sore from when he played 44 minutes in the yeah, Milwaukee right. game. Like <laughs> yeah, maybe that's true. what it is. Um, no, but I, I I like the Tatum and the White Boys lineup. Like I know we saw it, we see a tiny sample of Cornette and Muscala together at the same time. Like just the size and then... What they give you with their rebounding, I think that kind of negates, you know, the, some of the, you know, being attacked on the switches. Cornette can kind of hang, especially like, you know, the way that they matched Hauser with some of like the non-Halliburton minutes. I think they could have done that with Muscala. Yeah, because I think, yeah, well, they I mean, they shot 44% from three today. He would have obviously been able to, to add to that as well. I was surprised enough to, to not see Muscala, to only see Graham for five minutes and see Cornet for four minutes when... We're concerned about how many minutes Al is playing and how many minutes Rob is playing. It's a little bit confounding. So, yeah, don't know. I'm sure there was a, um, a method to the madness, but it is, it is interesting
0: nonetheless. Anything else you're tracking, Jake, heading into the, the postseason here? Yeah. we want to keep the, the pulse on? I got my. Tatum minutes, I was actually gonna say, but
2: um and I think th- today from the first to the second quarter, the rest for Tatum was much longer than it usually was. And he was on track to play like thirty-five ish minutes until overtime happened. And then the other thing that I'm kind of tracking is the is the pull up threes. Like you really want Tatum's pull up three to be working, come playoff time. That being said, I kind of just expect them to go in when it really matters, um, in big games. You know, you only really need them to go in at a high clip. Twice a playoff series, um, because if they're going in, then they usually just win those games. Um, and now, as you talked about earlier, Ben, he's so good at so many other things. Now that even if they aren't going in, if he's three for ten from three, that's not really impacting the overall impact of his of his game and the team's ability to win a game. But I would really like to see that late see that late
0: Tatum surge where the three ball really starts to get going. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be interesting to see uh, throughout this stretch run. And before we move on, miscellaneous takeaways from the game. And please in the chat, like this is your time to shine. Let us know those those weird misc moments that stood out to you during the game. I've only got one, really. I'll be curious to hear what you guys have. Malcolm Brogdon crashing into the dude, double fisting the two beers, <laughs> yeah. getting the, the rare pre-championship like alcohol shower, mid-game yeah. having to change jersey. Um, no grant, uh, as, as grandy called out during the broadcast to, to jump in there and help with the cleanup. I guess that's just like a home court thing that he does. Um, but I thought that was interesting. Anything else jump off the page for you guys?
2: Look, the double fisting the beers honestly is kind of a, a big call because those are large and you don't want to miss a second of action. And that's uh-huh. a lot of liquid, um, into the platter. It. Um, it's just, a, it's just, a, I guess you are court side, So your, your ability to get in and out from the front row to the bathroom is probably pretty easy so um that was that was a solid strategy from that guy uh, I wonder if Brogdon will hit him up kind of afterwards to get those but um yeah the Joey Mads going for the ball that's got to be the the miscellaneous highlight like did he just look at a like go smart mode see red for a second I think like, so that's like Mike Tomlin stepping on the field to trip a player esque like you, you're not allowed <laughs> to do that I don't think
1: Joe was like he was very smart like when he played in college like he was a little he'd get into people man like he was a hustler he was throwing elbows so i think he just you can't take the dog out of him man (laughs) you know um i thought i thought it was really interesting tatum was on miles turner for like Mm -hmm. all of crunch time and all of all of overtime which i thought was really interesting adjustment um I'm not sure it really worked, but also no. they were just ridiculously hot from three. So, uh, I I guess I get the thinking. Turner's, you know, he had that one post up, but he's not going to bully you on the post, you know, 15 times a game or anything like that. And that allows Al to sort of roam, but you can't really roam against the Pistons or the Pacers, rather, because they have so much shooting. So, yeah, um, it was it wasn't too bad, but I don't love having him guard bigs. He's done this a few times in the last couple of weeks because then he's got to fight on the glass, man. It's just, a, those are hard minutes when you're guarding the center. So I'd be interested to see if he keeps going to that. But I thought that was a, something to watch at the end of the game there.
0: For sure. Yeah. Look, we're going to move on here and we're going to play an excerpt from the Ringers Mismatch podcast. And the clip we're going to show here, that they're, they're talking about a recent uh, MVP straw poll published by ESPN's Tim McMahon, Tim McMahon, I should say, Uh, and there were some some takeaways regarding Jason Tatum's eligibility for the MVP award. So let's watch. And I don't know
1: why the Tatum thing slipped so much. It's not like he hasn't still been awesome
2: this year. Yeah, Jason Tatum's been fantastic. He's he's like slipped slightly from the peak, but he's still been. Absolutely incredible. I, He's I the best wonder, player
1: on the best team. Oh, for sure. And I, I wonder if part of it is is like with, with Tatum, um, like, like my reasoning for having him lower is simply due to the fact that Boston is so deep and so awesome, right? Mm-hmm. Like he, you know, I, I, it's not like his numbers have slipped significantly, as you said. I think if you look at his numbers ever since the last time that poll. Okay. So <laughs> I've got some numbers here. I, I, I asked Ben to pull the clip. So, KOC's point is basically Tatum's fourth on his sort of MVP list because the Celtics are so good that it waters down Tatum's MVP candidacy, right? And mind you, he has Giannis at number one over Jokic. So, let's keep that logic in mind. Tatum can't be the MVP because when he's off the floor, the Celtics are so good. But Giannis is his number one MVP because the Bucks are not, they're terrible when Giannis doesn't play. I'm going to bring up a chart here, and I think I'd like yeah, to yeah. bring your attention <laughs> yes. to the off number for this player. So this is the five MVP candidates that they talked about, and it's the net rating of their team when they're on and off. Gentlemen, I would bring your attention to Giannis's <laughs> off number, which is... The best. In other words, Milwaukee is the best team when their MVP candidate is not playing compared to these other four. Tatum, admittedly, the Celtics are the second best, but Embiid... So Giannis (laughs) is minus 1.5 when he's off the court. The Bucs are minus 1.5. Pretty good. Tatum, minus 2.2. Embiid, minus 2.5, which is effectively the same. Like, 0.3 net ratings. Absolutely nothing. Luka... Minus three point one, Jokic minus eleven (laughs) point (laughs) one. That's wild. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and then if you go to the on-off differential, so like the positive net rating with that uh, MVP candidate on the floor compared to the net rating when they're off the floor. Giannis fourth at in that eight point six. Tatum third eleven point five. Embiid and Tatum basically the same. Embiid's at eleven point six. And Jokic. 25.1. They are 25.1 points per 100 possessions better when Jokic is on the court, whereas Giannis again trails both Embiid and Tatum. In other words, the Bucs are the best team when their MVP candidate is not on the floor. So how can you knock Tatum's candidacy and have Giannis at number one Talking out of two sides of your mouth. It doesn't make any sense. You're just flat out wrong. And I love KOC. I usually agree, or if I don't agree with him, I at least understand his logic. But that is just absolutely flawed logic and totally flawed analysis. Like just say Giannis, the defensive player of the year, probably, and he's averaging more assists and blah blah blah. Sure, whatever, fine. But to say Tatum's hurt by his team being better than the Bucks is wrong. We are worse when they're both sitting than the Bucks. And that's with Middleton not being that good and missing a large chunk of the season. So when Middleton comes back, you got to think that number is even going to be better. So you're wrong, KOC. I'm sorry. (laughs) That's fine. Anyway, I just had to to get that off my chest because it was like
2: eating at me once I listened to that. I thought the same thing when I was listening to it. I was like, I'm pretty sure Tatum's on-off numbers are some of the most drastic out of all of the top players. Um, so I'm glad you guys, you pulled it. I didn't quite have the same, the physical reaction as Spoony did, apparently. Um, <laughs> because I probably have Giannis at number one in my MVP ballot as well. It was just that's fine. True. That's Different. fine. Yeah. Yeah. You just can't use
1: that logic to knock Tatum and then yeah. have Giannis at one.
2: Yeah. It was, it was honestly like, an know, like the, I thought the segment was actually pretty good except for that, you know, that, that, Agreed. that one piece when it came to Tatum, I was like, well, that just is completely unfair. Um. And it just doesn't like, give Kaitum the credit for his overall impact and um, relative to the other candidates. So
0: baloney. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, we we do this as as equal podcasting peers to to KOC, <laughs> exactly. right? Where like That's sometimes right. yeah. something comes up on the run sheet and you haven't quite prepared for that segment, and you just rattle off the first yeah. thing that comes to your mind. You listen to it later, and you're like, Oh shit, like why did I say that? <laughs> um, but I, it's a not to discredit like a, a great all time rant from you, Spoony, um, and it was very entertaining. But it's a moot point <laughs> because like Jokic is the MVP. It just is. And even in that segment, it, they talk about like looking at seasons in a vacuum and not like taking into account you know outside factors like prior seasons. And it's just it is Jokic. Like every metric, every number, everything other than best record in the league, which we're, we're barely holding on to, states that in favor of Jokic. Just.
2: By the skin of our teeth, and a Tatum and a Jalen missed free throw away from losing the best record in the league. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm I'm zagging on the Jokic thing. I, I I would like I like the the defense that Tatum and Jana's play. I would like my MVP. And as I think it's unfair. Like we're like we're gonna give Jokic three MVPs in a row, and he's like hasn't won a single title we're going to look back at this period of NBA basketball and are we going to be like Jokic was by far and away the best player in the NBA for like three or four years in a row he was like in a group of guys that were amazing um and maybe he does deserve it like in a vacuum in this season but vacuums are for nerds dude <laughs> so yeah
0: call me nerdy because I, I believe he
1: deserves the MVP <laughs> i don't don't hate the argument of like we part of it is like you need to tell the story of the season simmons talks about the mvp sort of telling the story of the season um and if that's the case i feel like that kind of leans towards tatum if anything we're the best team so um yeah (laughs) i'm torn here's where i go it's first of all Doncic should not be in this conversation. No, I, I understand I he's got all the counting stats and a crazy look. His on-offs, by far, the he's not even in the same class as those four other guys with his on-off stuff. And he doesn't play any defense at all. Jokic is a better defender than Do- uh, Luka, and it's not particularly close. So um, I think you can make a reasonable argu- argument for any of those top four. And I, I, I can't really hate on you if you pick any of those four guys. So, I mean, again, I'm not... Def- I'm not saying Giannis isn't the MVP. I'm just saying you got to use consistent logic. Um, Mm -hmm.
2: And so, yeah, I think you can make a great argument for Giannis being the MVP. I I was really hoping because I saw that the Nuggets were losing earlier. I went to go just check the score. One, they came back and won, and Jokic had 24, 18, and 13. Wild. Pretty good. I'll I'll zag. My other (laughs) zag is that SGA is going to be better than Wimby. And. Oh, yeah. I like that. Wow, that's my, that's I'm huge. A big I'm a big
1: zag on Wemby guy. <laughs>
2: Whatever on the Wemby thing. I'm, I'm zagging to too.
1: I'm with you, Jake. Like, I'm going to be that. like, I'm definitely zagging big time and yeah. just nice. being let's, devil's advocate on Wemby. Let's, let's, let's do, do it. it. Solidarity.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, look, in the theme of of looking at things to track throughout the remainder of the season, we've just stagged a couple of extra things there to keep an eye on. Guys, to wrap this one up, let's take a look at the upcoming schedule, who we're playing and when over the coming week. We've got Philly... In Philly on Saturday night, we've got the Knicks at Madison Square Garden. You know, spicy Tater performance pending on Monday night and then versus the Cavs back in Boston on Wednesday night. Jake, how are you feeling about this upcoming stretch? Like, they're three pretty challenging opponents. We struggled with the Knicks last time we saw them. Uh, Philly, I believe, last time I checked were losing to the Grizzlies earlier tonight and Joel Embiid was putting up a stinker. Please yes. tell me they if you're looking at it that they have lost or are still losing. And then the Cavs, are obviously, with their internal size, we've like always struggled with them, at least within the vacuum of, of this season. How are you feeling about this upcoming stretch?
2: Um, Yeah, so we're going to win the Sixers game, obviously, because <laughs> we always beat the Sixers, and Spoonie's going to be in attendance. That's right. We so, better yes. win that
1: game. I will be yeah. reporting live from enemy territory. Hell yes.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that like this is a this is a big matchup. It's not a big matchup for Boston. Like as much as we want to win, obviously, and it's always fun to beat Philly, like it is so much more important for Philly to actually win a game against Boston when both teams are healthy. Like they like they don't beat us when we when all, all things equal. Like the one time that comes to mind is when Enos Kanter um was guarding Joel Embiid and that game was close still. Yeah. And we ju- we literally just beat them with Al and Rob. So this is a big, much bigger game for the Sixers. Uh, and then of those three games, the one that like, if I really you know, wanted to win the most, it's the Cavs game. Just because they beat us those two games earlier in the season, I think, you know, mentally, I don't think it has a huge impact if they lose that game, but it would be nice just to, you know, have a win under your belt against a Cavs team that you that you lost two overtime games to earlier in the year um, and could very likely match up with in the second round. Um I'm someone who actually would much prefer to play Philly in the second round than Cleveland, but um, we can maybe ask that question again after after the Cavs game because we will have seen both Philly and and Cleveland. Uh, all teams pretty healthy as of today as well.
1: Those Cavs Spoon- games are so weird. I, yeah, yeah, I'm I, like I, I'm with you. I think the Cavs game is by far the most important because like I have, you know, my theory is that like those were just kind of anomaly games, especially the LeVert going for 40 or whatever it was game. So. I'd like to see us, you know, take care of business against the Cavs. Um the, I just feel like we're way better than the Knicks, but they play so well against us. Like if we if we played the Knicks in the playoffs, I feel like we'd sweep them easily. But for whatever reason in the regular season, they just kind of play us tough. So um, yeah, it's a it's kind of an interesting big stretch, man. These are three very possible playoff opponents. Um, and two on
0: the road. So um I think we're going two and one. Lock it yeah, down. Two and one. I think I'm with you there as well, and with the Bucks missing Giannis, it seems at least for a couple of games here. Hopefully, we can you know go to and one Hopefully, the the Bucks can go one and two, and we can add to that that lead, that very minuscule lead that we hold over them at the moment. But yeah, for me and for most people, those measuring stick games throughout the regular season are the most enjoyable and the Cavs game I think is the the biggest measuring stick on the immediate horizon so I'm looking forward to that look that is going to do it for this one thank you so much for joining us a reminder that we are moving back to our old podcast feed as we join the CLNS team we're already posting to that feed as well as the Celtics blog feed, but we are gradually weaning off that feed as we move back to the old one. The link to that feed will be in the show notes if you're listening on the Celtics blog feed. Currently, we're likely going to do a post game pod after the Sixers game that'll go up on the first of the floor feed only so that we're not interfering with the Green with MV Guys podcast on the Celtics blog feed. A lot of feed talk there. Sorry, hope you <laughs> stuck with me. Spoonie, Jake, love your work, guys. Until next time, go Celtics.